It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Mark about small fiber neuropathy. Small fiber neuropathy has been coming up on the podcast a lot recently, largely driven by the fact that I was recently diagnosed with it. I've been posting about that on social media, and it has opened some conversations with people that I have then asked to come on the podcast. Mark is one of those people. Small fiber neuropathy was also a piece of Cassie's story in last week's episode. And I'm actually really excited that these conversations are happening back to back because it really illustrates how different small fiber neuropathy can be from person to person. According to neuropathycommons.org, small fiber neuropathy, or SFN, is a neurological disorder involving widespread damage to the small diameter somatic and autonomic unmyelinated C fibers and or thinly myelinated A delta fibers. And no, I do not know what that means. (laughs) Continuing on, patients often experience pins and needles or burning pain sensations. Damage to the autonomic small fibers can cause dysfunction in key systems controlling blood pressure, heart rate, and gastrointestinal motility. There are several and varied causes of SFN, but in up to half of patients, no definitive cause is found. This has prompted physicians and researchers to search for new causes. And frustratingly, Mark is one of those people for whom the cause has not yet been discovered. Some doctors would consider this to be idiopathic small fiber neuropathy, implying that there is no cause to find. But as Mark and I will discuss today, just because a cause has not yet been discovered does not mean that there isn't a cause. And there are so many potential causes for small fiber neuropathy. Mark will tell us about the theories in his case that potentially this is a post-COVID situation, He did have a TBI and a brain bleed after a car accident, and there is some evidence linking PTSD with autonomic dysfunction and small fiber neuropathy, so Mark is wondering if his car accident could have been involved. And he also has glucose intolerance, and there is some evidence pointing towards pre-diabetes as a cause of small fiber neuropathy. In fact, diabetes itself is the most common cause of SFN. But for Mark, the frustration is that he just doesn't know. And as he puts it, if you don't know what you're battling, you can't fight the correct way. Mark has done an incredible amount of self-advocacy, and he's actually seeing Dr. Ann Oaklander, which is one of the leading experts in the U.S. on small fiber neuropathy. He's currently trialing IVIG treatment. Even though they don't know the cause of his SFN, they're hoping that IVIG might provide relief. This is such a new diagnosis, it's really poorly understood, and it's also not very well known. Small fiber neuropathy affects the autonomic nervous system. It can cause a wide variety of symptoms that have nothing to do with pain. And for many people living with chronic mystery illness, SFN might play a role. So I'm really excited to be featuring it on the podcast, to be talking about it, especially since I also have this disease. You know, I want to be advocating on behalf of this community and having Mark on the show is such a great opportunity to do that. And also a really fun opportunity for me to talk to a fellow small fiber neuropathy patient. I had so much fun talking to Mark. I'm thrilled to be able to bring it to you today, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. During this interview, Mark will mention a website that he found very helpful while researching small fiber neuropathy. That website is neuropathycommons.org. It features information about several forms of neuropathy, including small fiber neuropathy. Lots of great information to be found there, and I'll put a link to Neuropathy Commons in the show notes of this episode. The podcast is coming out a little late this week. I normally release episodes late on Tuesday nights to be available to you on Wednesday morning. Uh, It is currently Wednesday afternoon, and I'm still working on getting this one out. I had a really rough flare-up, and it's so interesting. You know, I've been doing so much better recently. I'm no longer flared up all day, every day, the way that I had been for years. But now when I do have a flare-up, it's really intense. You know, it's like I'm I'm not braced for the pain that that will arise. And then when it hits, it's like really, really intense. So yesterday, I just was not able to do any work at all. Uh, So the podcast is coming out a bit late this week. It is something that's important to me to have a consistent schedule. I want you to be able to get excited about having a new episode. But of course, I do have a chronic illness and sometimes things don't work out as planned. So I just wanted to acknowledge and thank you for your patience as this episode is a bit late. 
In last week's episode, I talked about how I am starting a new Facebook page for the podcast, and I'm really excited to have some new interaction there already. I was able to change the URL of the Facebook page, so now it's even easier to find facebook.com slash majorpainpodcast. I was so excited I was able to snag that. So last week posting Cassie's episode was the first time I posted an episode up on Facebook, and here is a comment from our listener, Laura James. I'm listening to your podcast and was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and once I got pregnant, it went into remission. However, once I gave birth, fibromyalgia ravaged my body. Just food for thought. This is bringing up something that has come up several times on the podcast, how people with chronic illness, sometimes their chronic illness state changes when they get pregnant or after they give birth. And in fact, this comes up in this episode today with Mark. He tells me a story involving small fiber neuropathy and a rough pregnancy. I'm glad that Laura pointed this out. This is something that I feel like needs to be researched and studied. So Laura, thank you for your comment. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, I interviewed Andrea about juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Andrea is actually putting on what she calls an RA Summit. This is an online event in which several people from the RA community will be discussing different topics. Even though I don't have RA, Andrea asked me if I'd be interested in participating. She wanted to interview me about my chronic illness experience and getting a diagnosis after years of being undiagnosed. Last week, I actually pre-recorded a video interview with Andrea. It was really fun. You know, I'm always the one interviewing other people, and it was really fun to be interviewed for a change and get to retell my story. Andrea had some great questions, and I'm very excited that I will be participating in her RA Summit. This is a free event that you can register for online. I will put a registration link in the show notes of this episode. The summit will take place on January 27th, and my interview will be playing at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As I said, the event is free, but there is also a paid option, which gets you access to a VIP Q&A section at the end of the RA Summit. I will not be part of the panel at the VIP event at the end of the day. So I just wanted to make that clear. If you are looking to chat with me in real time, unfortunately, I will not be a part of that end of day Q&A for the VIP guests. But I will be in the live chat when the video of my interview is playing. So I'd love to chat with you there. There are several great ways to support the creation of this podcast if you are interested. And one of them is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. If you sign up using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, you will be supporting this show while you sign up. In fact, somebody actually signed up this week. Whoever you are, thank you. If you have a diagnosis of any kind or you are a caregiver, you qualify to participate in research studies and surveys where you can be paid an average of $120 per hour for your time. Just head to rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast to sign up. Another great way to support Major Pain is to join our growing community on Patreon. Through Patreon, you can support the creation of this podcast with monthly financial contributions. We have three tiers of support, the $2 per month supporter, $7 per month patron, and $25 per month producer. Extra special thank you to our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia for helping to keep this show going. I'm actually going to try something special on Patreon this week. As I've been mentioning, I've been experimenting with recording video of my interviews, and this week I'm going to try sharing the entire video of my chat with Mark on Patreon. Patreon recently added a free subscription tier, which is really exciting, and I've been thinking about, you know, what can I do with our free subscription tier? Obviously, I post our episodes every week, and free subscribers are able to interact with those posts and comment on our episodes. But while I'm experimenting with what to do with my newfound ability to record video, I thought this would be a good experiment. So you can head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast and sign up for free to watch Mark's interview this week on video, if you so prefer. I'll remind you, as always, that my guest and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing conversation with Mark about small fiber neuropathy. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. We've been chatting a little bit on TikTok, and I was really curious to hear 
the rest of your story. So I invited you on the show. Here we are. Real excited to get to know you a little bit and hear your story today. Let's start with getting to know you. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Mark. Um, I live in Boston. Well, the, the outskirts of Boston, North Shore area, it's called um, probably like 15 minutes from Boston or uh, 15 minutes from Salem, Massachusetts. Some people might be able to correlate with that, the witch city. In regards to like myself, you know, the past like year or so, it's kind of hard to pinpoint stuff that I've been doing lately, you know, just with everything going on. Um, I became more of a different person since like being diagnosed per se. Um, mm. A lot more like just trying to be outside more like walking nature video games to kind of connect with my friends i don't see as much anymore and like keep my my mind off things but yeah i mean before you know i was a big sports person like love basketball softball i mean i played softball this summer but like it was a struggle it was a super mental battle playing softball you know with the heat and all that type of crap so it's my hobbies have definitely changed I don't have like a set, like, you know, I do this every day. I do that every day. Um, it's just going day by day now. Yeah, totally. I totally relate to what you're saying about hobbies in, are changing based off of what's happening with like a chronic illness. And then also, you know, playing video games is sort of like distraction therapy, doing things to keep your mind off what's happening. What video games do you play? Um, Call of Duty. That's the main one. You know, um, I didn't really play video games. I mean, I played video games in high school and then over COVID got back into them. Kind of like, uh, you know, everybody loves Call of Duty. So that's pretty much been the game that everybody's on and just playing. Yeah, totally. When when my health was super flared up, I played Warframe all day, every day. <laughs> well, now I'm, now I'm even more curious. So let's hear about what you've been going through with your health. Mark, what is your major pain? Um, small fiber neuropathy with autonomic involvement. When were you diagnosed with small fiber neuropathy? April of last year, I got the biopsy done. I had to push for it. I, I had to be my own advocate, but yeah, uh, April of last year. So I'm still kind of new to the actual diagnosis, you know? Yeah. What do you know about the diagnosis so far? I know a ton because my doctor initially, my PCP, you know, blamed anxiety, which, you know, is a common thing with people. Yeah. It's anxiety and being sick. The only thing I did for like six months was I was up till 3am every day, like reading articles, wow. clinical trials. Like I know a good amount. <laughs> I know a yeah. lot. Yeah. Okay. Tell tell me about it. And this is so exciting for me because I also have small fiber neuropathy and just like getting to talk to someone else who has my disease is such a joy that I'm still not used to, you know, because <laughs> I just got, I just got diagnosed this last year. So I'd love to hear from you. What is small fiber neuropathy? Um, so small fiber neuropathy to put it non-technical, I guess is basically I tell people like the nerve fibers that deal with like temperature sensation um and according to my doctor blood flow is involved a lot and a lot of people don't realize that with the small fibers and obviously the autonomic i think they're called pseudomotor nerves which is pretty much has to do with like your sweat glands that's where like i'm kind of dealing with now mm. yeah yeah when i did my testing they did the sweat test to see how long it took me to sweat when they like ran chemicals over my skin were you extremities or was it like do you know were you lent dependent or non-lent dependent you know, I'm not sure about that. That's something I just did an episode with Cassie, who also has small fiber neuropathy. And she was telling me about the length dependent, non-length dependent. And I was like, I got to check and see if it says on my on my notes. I'm not sure. Did, did it say where your sweat was decreased from? Yeah, it was in my left forearm. Are you widespread though? Like you have like random pains like and stuff like that or? Yeah, yeah, totally. We were pretty sure that my small fiber neuropathy is caused by mast cell activation syndrome. So essentially, my body's being flooded with chemicals when my mast cells are misfiring. From what I know of small fiber neuropathy, it is possible for it to just happen idiopathically, where we just don't know what the cause is. But most often, it seems like there is an underlying cause, like there's some underlying condition that's causing this to happen. Is that something your doctors have talked to you about or looked into for you? Yeah. So, I mean, like we spoke on TikTok, uh, you were interested to hear about Oaklander, Annie Oaklander. So she's... um. She pretty much told me idiopathic doesn't exist. It's it's if your doctor tells you that, get rid of them. Keep going. You know, there's like all. Hey, she. You can look her up after. She is like she's like the world expert at small fiber neuropathy out of Boston. And I'm wow. She literally that's what she's told me, and she said, you know, look, there, there's always got to be a cause. Like even even when you get cancer, something did it. Whether it was like an environment you were in before, some toxin that got into your body. Something, you know what I mean? Something's doing something. And a lot of people now are from the stuff I've been reading is it has to do with your, like your mitochondrial dysfunction. That's like what it's looking mm. like. 
there's just so so much we don't understand. So I but I love I love this idea that if your doctor says it's idiopathic, get rid of them. My take on the idiopathic thing is like that means that we don't know. You know, there we don't know what the cause is. I I prefer that than just to say there is no cause. It just happened because that kind of is an excuse to stop looking for a cause. I, I think it's important in, if you don't know what the cause is to kind of stay open to the possibility of finding it in the future and to continue, yeah. to, continue to look for it. Because if you stop looking, you're never going to find it. Um, yeah. And I got lucky in that, you know, my two diagnoses happened really close together, sort of back to back and were interwoven together. So when I got the small fiber neuropathy diagnosis, I was already diagnosed with MCAS. There is new research coming out linking those two things together. But yeah. there's all sorts of diseases that can cause small fiber neuropathy. Diabetes is the most common. There are autoimmune diseases that can cause it. Are there any theories as to the underlying cause for you? No. Um, so she thinks that one of the things specifically she's been like studying is um, it's called early onset, like small fiber neuropathy. So like a lot of children will have widespread pain and like they won't know why. And um, she thinks I may have had that because of the symptoms I've told her, like, you know, I've always like heat intolerance. Like I've always like had a level of anxiety and like, I mean, we, we know, I don't know if you have like anxiety, but it's more like the dysautonomia or pots kind of like messing with your autonomic nervous system. Like I always just tell people, like, I don't have anxiety. Like I'm a, I'm a calm dude, but like my body has anxiety and people are like, dude, yeah. you're crazy. I'm like, okay. And I was like, as soon as I found out I don't like have anxiety per se, I put it on TikTok. I was like, oh, thank you, doctor. And I got like 70,000 views. I took it down, but I was like, I don't know, because I, I was kind of bad mouthing my doctor or my old. <laughs> I'm on my I'm on my third PCP this in the past 24 months. But hey, we don't know. I've had like a stressful past two years. Um, I went through a bad breakup, which kind of like set everything off. And mm. there's also research, depending on like what you believe in, like, you know ptsd those type of things can actually damage your nervous system mm. um it, it, it depends who you talk to i got to where i am now in my like health journey by talking to other people you know over the past two years i probably talked to 500 different people asking them like what happened how did this happen i met a woman who had autonomic small fiber neuropathy she didn't have like pain or anything like that but like her nerve fibers were like decreased kind of like similar like i, I would scurry the internet looking for somebody with the exact like increased fiber percentage is mine. And I'm like, okay, let me find this person <laughs> and see what happened. She went through a bad pregnancy. And after that, she developed like autonomic symptoms and her nerve wow. fibers were decreased. And she recovered after 18 months by taking Selexa and doing like hit exercise every day. So it's like, there's so, like you said, there's so much that we don't know. You couldn't even test for it up until 15 years ago. The biopsy wasn't even available. So yeah, totally. And that's what is so frustrating about having a new diagnosis is that they just don't know that much. MCAS is, is the same. So I have two diagnoses where we just don't know that much, but I'm also, I'm not complaining because the MCAS meds are working for me. So, you know, in my understanding is that if you have small fiber neuropathy and you can figure out the cause, treating the cause treats the small fiber neuropathy. But if you don't know what the cause is, like in your case, then you're just kind of out in the weeds as far as knowing what to do to help manage it. Are, are there any things that you have found that are, you know, helping at all to manage it? So it's really hard to say, like you said, that like you got to find the cause. Cause like on Dr. Oakland's website, it says like small fibers are really robust. Like you find the cause they're going to regrow. They're regrowing through life for some reason. Like, Oh, cool. It's always like regenerating. Oh, that's so exciting to hear. Cause that's yeah, something I yeah. haven't been able to find a clear answer on. I'll get, I'll give you the website, but no, no, nobody knows. And no doctor wants to say, cause they weren't taught this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's tough because like, there's not enough trials out and you need in the United States, you need so many trials for something to be like, okay, this is why, you know what I mean? But yeah, that's, that's been definitely a battle trying to figure out exactly what my cause is. She has me, we started in November. I, I actually met with her last week to reevaluate my first like in-person visit with her. So like my second in-person visit and um, she has me at IVIG. So I don't know if you know what that is intravenous immunoglobulin yeah so she but I honestly on. like i couldn't i what what is that that's like healthy antibodies healthy, right yeah like somebody's healthy immune system yeah, yeah so yeah. she has she has me on that um we're trialing that i don't know if there's a benefit yet I, I was seeing a chiropractor who was a little more advanced than a normal chiropractor she did some testing and she did like a, a temperature test for me like about six months ago she pretty much like 
put something in hot water and measured how long it would take for my toes to like like sense it you know what i mean hmm. so since having the ivig till about three weeks ago those improved a little bit and like my reflexes were like hypersensitive or hyperflexive and all that stuff and those are improved a little bit so i don't know if it's just the ivig i don't know if it's just time i i, I don't know my cause like i have theories so it's, it's really hard to like you said it's like how can you tackle something mm. if you don't you know what i mean it's like it's like oh it's it's from pre-diabetes or it's glucose intolerance and it's like okay i can't eat donuts but what if it's not that like i'm gonna w waste my life not eating donuts like you know what i mean it's like <laughs> it's, it's just ah uh. yeah totally let's talk through the history of this because you mentioned this bad breakup is that around the time that things started so the breakup started and i was like you know super stressed out and you know i was like not like drinking crazily but i was drinking alcohol i mean i worked in the restaurant industry so i drink alcohol like uh, <laughs> if you worked in the restaurant industry, you know what i mean you drink yeah. alcohol but like my gut started bothering me around three months after so i went to see a gastroenterologist and you know he's like oh it's just anxiety it's it's just gas and reflex blah 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 and I'm like, dude, no, it's not. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, he's like, all right, you know what? Like, why don't you take like an anxiety med? Like in the past, I've been on Selexa. I stopped Selexa. Um, I've been on like Ativan. So I was like, all right, I'll take Ativan like once a day. You know what I mean? See if it helps me out. And it, di it didn't help out. So I'm like, something's going on. So he did um, like a manometry test. So basically like, it's like a, a metal coil with sensors on it. They put it through your nose and like they, they measure your swallows. <laughs> and my swallows are like like six out of ten swallows are failed swallows. So basically it's called prostalsis. So when you swallow, imagine like how a snake swallows, like you know how a snake like mm -hmm. you're supposed to do that, but it's it's autonomic. So that's part of your autonomic nervous system as well. So that's where everything started. You know, my gastro was like, you know, you have enteric neuropathy, which is pretty much neuropathy of your gut. Um they don't really know much about that. A lot of people get it from like salmonella or like, you know, basically like a, a virus or something like that. You know what I mean? That's, that's why like a lot of people have issues after COVID with like gastroparesis and like that type mm. of stuff going on. And that was like, kind of like, okay, something's going on here. He referred me to a neurogastroenterologist, which is something I never heard of before. <laughs> yeah. um, so he's an, he's a neurologist and a gastroenterologist. Um, you know, I did a bunch of testing with him and finally he came to the conclusion that I had, it's called brain gut disorder. So I'm, I'm sure you've heard like our gut is our second brain and mm -hmm. all that stuff like that. So basically he was saying there's like a, there's a misconnection with something going on here, you know, like IBS wow. and all that supposed to be that. And, um, they, they wanted me to take nortriptyline, which I didn't end up doing up until a couple months ago, but this stuff kind of subsided. And then like my peripherals, my hands, my feet, like my face, other areas of my body started to bother me, like really like zappy pain. And like, I'm like, dude, something's going on. I asked my PCP, I said, can I see a neurologist? He's like, it's anxiety. It's anxiety again. So mm -hmm. I'm like, it's not anxiety. So that's when I, I actually booked Dr. Oakland on my own. It was a year wait. I think she's up to like two years now. She was on sabbatical for five years. So I finally, I got into her, like as she got out of sabbatical. Wow. I got the biopsy after I saw her, but she, she did the testing and she's, she's like, I know what's going on. There's a YouTube video of her. It's called small fibers, big pain. It's like an hour long and she's doing a lecture and she pretty much like talks about like there's small fibers everywhere. Your eyes have small fibers You're yeah. everywhere, your senses, your taste. So I got in with her and here, here I am now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And th this is the thing that's really important to spread awareness about is like small fiber neuropathy is a horribly named disease you know people hear small fiber neuropathy they think of peripheral neuropathy which also sucks you know <laughs> i'm not yeah. saying that, that that's a better diagnosis at all i'm just saying that it's a very different sensation uh where because the small fibers are in your entire body it does affect your autonomic nervous system and things that are supposed to happen automatically will sometimes not work super well for me it was my legs you know my legs would just completely stop working and that was the thing that really set us on the wrong track diagnostically for me, because like MCAS doesn't normally cause your legs to stop working, but small fiber neuropathy can. And because the MCAS was causing the small fiber neuropathy to get my legs to work, I needed to treat the MCAS. And that was this like thing that was like almost impossible puzzle to figure out. But yeah, I mean, the autonomic nervous system like controls everything in your body that you aren't actively trying to control. You know, you're breathing your circulation, your sweating, your temperature control, all of these different things. 
And when that's not working correctly, you know, and I have experience with this, it causes what you described as body anxiety, which is exactly right. Your body is anxious because it's struggling to do something that it's supposed to do automatically. And if you ever say to a doctor, you know, I'm having like weird body anxiety, they just write down has anxiety, you know, and, yep. and the cause of this is anxiety. And it's a complete brick wall for getting any help. And I've, I've experienced that enough times to stop even mentioning the body anxiety when I talk to people. Like I find other language to try to get around saying that because I know they won't hear what I mean. Even in my dysautonomia test, I did the tilt table test and all that. And I'm like, yeah, I feel weird body anxiety. I looked at the notes later. It just said, has anxiety, you know, like felt anxiety. Like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you tilted me down and then back up, my body felt anxious. I am calm. You know, I'm chill. I'm calm. My body feels anxious. There's no other way to describe that. <laughs> so yeah. I just like started focusing on like, yeah, I feel like my heart rate feels like it's spiked, you know, which is part of it. Or like my, my temperature sensation feels off, which is part of it. And that's the only way that I feel like I can describe it and still keep the doctor on board with what I'm saying. Of course, now I have like all these great doctors and I'm, I'm so lucky and I'm, I no longer have anything to complain about on that front, but getting to that point was incredibly frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So you see this doctor, she's like one of the experts. You said she's the one who did the punch biopsy. So my old PCP sent me to a neurologist who was like, yeah, I think you're fine. Let me just check you for MS and you know, oh, that's wow. it. Yeah. And that came back normal. My EMGs were normal. Obviously, you know that. Oh, EMGs yeah. I did all this too. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh, my, I'm like, oh, maybe it is anxiety. Wow. And then I'm like, I did my research. I'm like, can I get a punch biopsy? He's like, we normally don't do it. I'm like, can you just do it? Oh, wow. You came up with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had words with doctors, the frustration just because like, what if this was something that could have been prevented or like, you know, maybe if I didn't eat bad or do this or do that, this was like almost two years ago. What if? We had that answer two years ago. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah. So Oakland is the one who I actually saw her a week before I got the biopsy results. And she was like, she knew what was going on. No biopsy needed. So she diagnosed you clinically and then you got the results from the punch biopsy. And tell me what the results said. It was from Corinthia labs. It was, um, you know, severe small fiber neuropathy, the nerve fibers, the density. I think like the upper leg was supposed to be seven. It was like 5.5. The middle was supposed to be six. It was 3.3. .3. And then they didn't do my foot, which Oaklander was mad about because you're supposed to do the feet. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know exactly where to do the, the biopsy. I'm surprised they did your arm. The lower one was like 3.3. .3. So, you know, like at worst, a 40% reduction at the worst level. Wow. But, but my foot's bad. So I wonder if there's, you know what I mean? But well, we can just assume, assume that there is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I did my biopsy, somebody told me it was so interesting is that you can have widespread small fiber neuropathy and completely miss it when you do the biopsy. If you take a punch that's just an inch to the right of where the nerves are shortened, then you just won't see it at all. Um, so they did five spots for me. They did both forearms, upper thigh on the right side, ankle and foot all on the right side because that's where my worst pain is on the right side. Only one of my spots was positive. But again, if you get one spot positive and you have systemic pain, then you just, you have it, you know, it's just, we only got lucky on the one spot, but I mean, if that one spot had been taken an inch to the right and they missed it, then it would have been a negative, you know, which would have been really frustrating. It's, it is a hard thing to test for. Do you remember how decreased yours were or was it like? I don't, my, mine wasn't too severe and the MCAS medication is helping so much. I do feel like if we hadn't caught it, then the nerve damage just accumulates. Like what you're saying yeah. when you're talking to your doctors, like you just really want to get on top of it as quickly as you can. So I feel really lucky that we found it when we did. And, you know, most of my dysautonomia is significantly better unless I flare up. You know, MCAS is tricky. It's like you, if you do too little exercise, you flare. Too much exercise, you flare. Eat too much, you flare. Eat too little, you flare. Eat the wrong thing, you flare. It's just like all day, every day, you kind of have to be living this narrow path trying to keep your mast cells under control on top of all the medication that I take, but it's working, you know, it's, it's working really well. What are the theories that you have about what might've caused it? So I go back and forth about COVID just cause the timing, you know, I had COVID in August 21 and like nothing really happened after that. But I mean, the time frame it's hard to say, um, like the research 
the, the research I've done. I'm a doctor. No, the stuff, but the, the stuff I've read are like, <laughs> there's, there's rare, like Ativan, like benzodiazepines, those things can cause neuropathies per se. Mm. There's no clinical research. Like I asked Oaklander and she said, no, the Selexa that I was on, I stopped. I've always had like gut issues like my entire life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped the selection in 2020 and the week I stopped the selection, I was actually in a car accident and I had like a, a minor, like, um, like brain bleed. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah. So I had a TBI for like, but it was gone after like a day of the bleeding. But again, that brings me back to like that PTSD traumatic experience, your body type of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, those are my theories. And like, as the day goes on every day, I'm like, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And I'm sure you were like, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this until you figure out what yeah. it is. And that's why I'm like a, a pain in the butt to my doctors. And, you know, even Dr. Oakland was like, dude, you are you're the most relentless patient I've ever met. I'm like, yeah, because I wanted to try the IVIG because, you know, that seems to be what's helped people, you know, and I've been persistent and I've been a pain in the ass to doctors, but I've gone to where I am. And it's not anxiety anymore. But yeah, I mean, in regards to theories, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I have glucose intolerance too. And there's like a, another study where that is a possibility. So basically, this is out of like Mayo Clinic. They think that people with idiopathic neuropathy like predate like diabetes, like, you know, glucose intolerance, that type of stuff can, can cause it. I mean, there's studies of it. It's just like nobody wants to, again, admit anything. It's weird. I don't. Yeah, yeah. What's so frustrating about this is that those are all good theories, you know, <laughs> like a, a post-COVID issue. Absolutely. Like there's more and more evidence that that, that could cause dysautonomia. I mean, uh, th- that absolutely. Like we're seeing that all over the place causing dysautonomia. People developing pots left and right after getting COVID. So that's a really solid theory. A brain bleed, a TBI, you know, like that's not something that you just recover from. Like even if the bleeding stops after a day your brain is probably swollen and like needs to heal. So, I mean, I know nothing about what that does to the body. And then this pre-diabetes thing, you know, if you become diabetic in the next couple of years, that will explain a lot. But until that happens, how are you supposed to know if it's going to happen? And if it never happens, then you're waiting for something that might never happen. So you kind of just have to like live in the moment of like trying to manage the disease itself. If it was, one of the causes that's like a light switch, COVID or a brain bleed that just turns on the small fiber neuropathy switch and just leaves it on. There's no way to turn that off that we know of. All you can do is try to get your nervous system under control and you know do everything you can to take care of yourself in that way. But if there is something, if there's an underlying condition, if there's an autoimmune disorder that you don't know about, if there's prediabetes, something like that, until you figure out the cause, there's nothing you can really do. So that's a really horrible position to be in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which it sucks. I don't know why I'm saying all that other, other than to say, like, I get that that sucks. You know, that's, that's a real horrible spot to be in. Yeah. I mean, I try to like tackle it from like, you know, every angle though. Like, it's just like, you know, I get the IVIG. Like I do take like, uh, I take Zyrtec and Montelukas daily trying to mm. kind of see it. If I do have an MCAS thing, because yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, well, I I'm not sure how you got a diagnosis like quickly, but I know like if you're not in a flare, like you, you might not show up on blood, like, right. And that's still new too, MCAS right. per se, you know, and like, I'm not saying the only good thing out of COVID is like MCAS, small fiber neuropathy, dysautonomia, like all these things are out there now. They weren't out there before. Like, I think it was in t- until 2020 or 2022, like, POTS didn't even have like a, a code, like um, a medical code. Like, like <laughs> wow. there's nothing to put. Yeah. Like it didn't have one. So like it, it, it sucks about COVID, but that's the only like good thing coming out of it. Like these things are being researched when mm. before, like people didn't know there's still some doctors that don't even know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm nodding my head emphatically. <laughs> that's very, <laughs> very true. But I'm glad that you're trying out these MCAS meds. That's something I was going to ask you about. That is how I got a diagnosis is I tried out the meds and it worked. You know, chromalin sodium was my first line of defense. You know, within a couple months of taking chromalin sodium, I wasn't using a wheelchair anymore. And that was, you know, as clear as it can get. My legs start working again. Uh, And I got really lucky that I saw a doctor who recognized from my my pattern of my life, you know, and how I'd been sick on and off and that I react very strongly to mold. He's like, yeah, that is within the realm of possibility that it could be affecting your mobility. So let's try the medication, see what happens. Just like you said, 
the testing is super inconclusive because if you don't test within two hours or even like within 20 minutes of a flare, it won't show up on your blood work. So yeah, so I just started the meds and it helped. And also you talked about Ativan, benzodiazepines are also mast cell stabilizers. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, you've tried a lot of, of what I would have recommended to try for MCAS. The only thing that I would recommend on top of that is the low histamine diet, which is a little rough. And it's like, you know, no alcohol, no fermented foods, no aged foods, no leftovers. And there's a bunch of random things that are high histamine, like avocados and tomatoes and spinach. I started the diet first, actually. And I started taking a DAO enzyme, DAO, which is an enzyme that breaks down histamine. And just doing those two things, I noticed the fog start to lift just a little bit, you know, five or 10% improvement. And that was enough evidence to get me to the the right place, to the right doctor, the allergist, who then said, oh yeah, this is pretty clear evidence that we're on the right track. I want to put you on the MCAS medication, high doses of antihistamines, H1 and H2 antihistamines. Pepsid, famotidine is the most commonly available H2 antihistamine. Every little thing we added in was improvement. We added in the Montelicast, which you mentioned. I take Ketodafen as well, which I have to order from out of the country because they don't even sell it in pill form in the United States. And all these things gave me like 5 or 10% improvement until all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm like 70% better, you know? <laughs> so you do take Montelicast too? Yeah, yeah, that, that's been helpful for me for sure. It's like an, a different type of inflammatory inhibitor than the other mast yeah. cell stabilizers and antihistamines that I take. And that one I noticed the most difference for flaring post-exercise. But then I got COVID and then things kind of got out of whack again. And I'm, I'm just now, six months later, starting to feel like I'm getting back to having my feet under me again as far as exercise is concerned. But I have to be so careful if I do like... 10 minutes of jogging, it's great. If I do 20 or 30 minutes, I might flare for three days. So it's it's real, it's a tightrope. But I did feel like that was absolutely helping. And it's one of those things where like every once in a while, I'll go off one of the meds to see what happens. I'll get worse. I'll go back on. <laughs> so you've done a lot of the MCAS stuff that I would have recommended. I'm not, not getting the gut instinct that that is a strong contender for you. Is is that how you're feeling? Um, You know, it's hard to say. Um. You know, I was given Montelukas years ago for um, asthma, and yeah. it helped. So I was like, hmm. Like, I looked at stuff, and, like, asthma and, like, GERD, those are all, like, autonomic issues. So I'm like, is this a correlation, you know? So the Montelukas, I restarted last month. I think after talking to you, I, oh, it was on your list. I was like, hmm, let me, let me see. And I also read, like, a weird article. Like, people with MS were taking Montelukas with some other substance, and it was helping, like, remyelinate the nerves. Wow. So I was like, look. Oh, uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, you know, this can't hurt. And I was given it before. Um, I, I hate pharmaceuticals, you know. I was on nortriptyline. I stopped that like a month ago. I really don't like drugs per se, especially with me thinking like maybe Ativan did this or maybe like something else did this. But I, I don't know if it's MCAS. I mean, I hope. I mean, I hope to figure out exactly what it is per se. I, I don't know right now, you know. I mean. Yeah, totally. Well, you're, you're exploring options. That's the best you can do. And, and MCAS, like. It's not fun to live with, but it's totally manageable in a way that has completely turned my life around. So I'm very grateful to have MCAS. You know, there's a lot of things that could have been causing my mobility issues that are way less manageable. So I'll take yeah. what I can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I've looked at the low histamine diet too, and it's just like, I've looked at like, oh, do keto diet. It helps like your nerves to grow. Do this, do that. And it's like, I'm just getting pulled every which way every day. You know what I mean? Because if it's mm -hmm. MCAS, you can't eat avocados. If it isn't, avocados are great for keto diet, healthy fats. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, what am I? Yeah, this and is it's my a life. Thing. I'll sit yeah. my, like, my, I'll sit like till two in the morning, like writing like, a, what am I going to eat? And my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm making a diet for like, if, if it's this, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's this, if it's this, like, oh, maybe I'm diabetic and I don't know. It's it, it, and it's just like, when I met with Dr. Oakenberg this last week, she's, she's, she like literally, she sat me down. She's like, dude, just listen to me. Like, I'm the expert. Get off the internet. Get off. I'm like, but that's what got me here. She's like, I'm the expert. Just listen to me. You know, give it time. You know, I got you on IVIG. Just give it, give it time. You, you're doing too much at once. You'll never know what's going to help you. And I'm like, but I don't have time. Like I'm 34. Like, I don't want to like waste three more years figuring out what's going on. You know what I mean? So I'm throwing all this stuff at it at once and I get it. Like I'm taking B12 shots, this, that, this, that, but it's just like, I don't know. 
<laughs> it's tough when the medical community doesn't know. Yeah, totally. And again, you're like stuck between these bad choices. But I do, I do like her advice because I, I will say that I never would have figured it out if I had done too many things at once where I didn't know which was the thing that made the difference. And each thing you kind of have to give a month to, you know, it's like, let's try the low histamine diet. You want to give it like a solid month. I've done the keto diet multiple times. And when I was doing that, I was eating a lot of stuff that was fermented, like kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha. I love that kind of stuff. And that is the highest histamine food on the planet. And that's what was making me sick. So it didn't matter that I was going keto, you know, and it was this like one thing that I didn't even know existed, which was a low histamine diet that I really needed to do. But the, the big secret about the low histamine diet is that it's different for everyone. So I can actually eat a little bit of avocado, a little bit of tomato, fresh foods that are naturally higher in histamine. I tend to do okay with it's the fermented stuff. It's the aged stuff that I really have to avoid. But there's things like eggs, you know, eggs are a moderate histamine source and I eat them every day. I didn't eat them for the first like four to six months of doing the diet. And then I started experimenting, you know, try one food at a time, introduce one high histamine food at a time and see what happens. And I just don't react to eggs. And it's like, it's like hitting a home run, you know, it's so (laughs) exciting because I get to put this food back in my diet because the diet is so restricted that you start to feel a little bit, you know, malnourished, which is a bigger <laughs> problem. <laughs> so yeah, I've discovered that I can eat like feta cheese, like sheep's milk and goat's milk feta cheese. I don't seem to react to. And there's like certain brands that I will. So it's like a, almost a case by case basis. I avoided mushrooms for years and now I've discovered that certain mushrooms are okay. There are mushrooms that are high histamine, but just like white mushrooms, cremini mushrooms, morel mushrooms, porcini mushrooms that, that are safe for me. It's like, wow, I get to put these things back in my diet. So it's really all about like trying one thing at a time. For me, like once I got my body under control, then when I tried one thing, I got clear feedback. Whereas before, when my body was going completely haywire, I couldn't figure out if anything was helping because my body was always struggling. So no matter what I tried, it was still struggling. I had to get that one level of control first. And for me, that involved MCAS medication. So, you know, the more you try, the more likely it is that you will hit that home run, find that one thing that is helpful. But it also like if you do too much at once, your body won't have a chance to stabilize and you won't know if you've hit it or not. So it, again, it's like a tightrope, you know, this, this disease is so frustrating and finding that perfect path is completely different for every person. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult because like you said, you, you probably did research like, oh, keto diet, great for you. You're doing the keto diet and it's making you worse. And it's like, yeah. just if, if you don't know what you, you know, if you don't know what you're battling, how can you battle it? You know what I mean? You can mm. do, you can do everything in the world for, for all, you know, the small fiber neuropathy you have, whatever's causing it, like exercise is bad for you. And like, I mean, not really, but you just never, you don't know. So you can't fight the correct way. And it's just like, yeah. I'm still stuck in that. You know, like I said, I get the IVIG. From what I gather, that's like super good for your body. Obviously, it's like boosting your immune system. Um, I'd imagine like regardless of like a cause, like I think that would help anybody um, in regards to like keeping your body healthy and like nerve regeneration. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the IVIG is a really interesting one that I haven't heard about for small fiber neuropathy. But if it's a situation where like a light switch was turned on and now this disease is active, maybe that could hit all of those potential causes where it wouldn't matter what the cause is if you can get it to calm down. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about that. Please, you know, keep me updated. How long does it potentially take for that to work? It's hard to say. Um, like I've been on it for two, two months now. Um, but I've talked to people like, you know, from COVID, you know, I talked to a gentleman who had a autoimmune reaction. There's actually like a study about him and the IVIG in nine months, mm-hmm. like he was like super better. But it's hard to say what the cause is. You know, there's some people on IVIG that have like large fiber too with the small fiber. So there's no, it's it's still experimental, I guess. So there's no time frame. I mean, from her like research paper, if you do respond, it's usually six to nine months. And usually like you'll get back to like 90% of what you were before. Wow. So that, yeah. So that's like in my head every day. I'm like, okay, I'll be better in a couple months. Right. So, and it's hard to get a proof by insurance because the, the science isn't out there yet it's out yeah. there but it's not out there for this and right again she's her she's all about small fiber she thinks small fiber neuropathy in itself is like an autoimmune issue regardless 
I believe. I don't want her to like see this and like yell at me, but <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think that like that's what she believes that there's something immune irregulated, obviously, because if something's damaging your body, even if it's like a toxin or if it's like mercury, like your your immune system's fighting. So that's the theory that I believe she believes in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's tough to wait six to nine months to find out if something is working. And it's also an opportunity to focus on some of the stuff you talked about at the very beginning, which is like, I'm trying to get out in nature more. I'm trying to distract myself playing video games, trying to like find some calm and some joy every day. I, that can be really helpful with dysautonomia to try to reset your body's function, get into good, healthy habits that can give your body a chance to right itself. Yeah, I mean, the, like the dysautonomia and like nervous system and all that, like, you know, they, I've done like, the, I'm sure you've looked into it, like the cold plunges and like Wim Hof. Oh, all, all I can't, I cannot do a cold plunge. That hurts that, so bad for me. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've tried it. Um, I mean, there's so many people like on Instagram and this and that. You you see them talking about like having small fiber neuropathy or like um, dysautonomia and they like, they take this natural path, you know, meditation and all that stuff and that kind of. I've kind of like experimented with that a little bit, but again, it's so hard to like, if you don't know the reason, but I'm trying to get behind the theory of when you break your leg, it doesn't heal overnight. The past couple of months, that's been my like driving force. Like you can't expect. And and if, if it's been happening in your lifetime, you can't expect it to just happen and get better over a couple of months. And you know, you need to put the work in. So that's, that's kind of where my mentality has been like keeping me going. Like, look, your body's made to heal. Like your body is going to heal itself, but you got to give it the right things. You got to take away the bad things. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. How has this changed your life before and after? You know, it, it sounds like this started a couple of years ago. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it, it got like, you know, worse over the past couple of years. I don't know if I had issues before, like from what she's, things like the early onset like i did you know i had leg pains like i had the anxieties like i had sleeping issues i always had gut issues um but yeah my life is you know it's changed a lot like i the breakup happened and i like i was kind of like not feeling well a lot towards the end of that breakup so i don't know if that contributed to like i think it contributed to like that you know me and that person kind of fading and you read about that a lot you know i've talked to a lot of people like they lose they get divorced you know, obviously jobs and stuff like that, you know, that, that stuff's, it's been difficult. Um, just not being me. Cause I'm like a person that's like, I, I like to go, go, go. You know what I mean? Like when I was younger, like my, he's kind of like my uncle, he gave me a nickname, 10,000 volts, but I like to just, <laughs> I like to go, you know, I don't like to be at home. Like I like to be out like with people talking to people, like just doing something. And it's just so hard to like, like my mind's like, all right, let's go. And your body's just like, nope. You're not, not today, buddy. So it's just, it, it's tough. It's, it's, it's something that you can't describe to somebody unless they're going through it or have gone through it. You, you, you just, you can't, you know, I still have people to this day, like, dude, like stop being lazy, like get out of bed. Dude. I'm like, it's not me. It's not me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, when some days staying in bed is the best thing you can do for your body when you're having a flare up, if you try to get out of bed and push it, it'll just get so much worse. And then your flare-up might last for days longer. You know, how does that make you feel when you when people accuse you of being lazy when you are just doing what your body is requiring inside of this like tumultuous illness? Um, it's it's tough because I never like I've always been a person that never really gave a crap about people's opinions, and I, I still don't. It's just like it's another level of like you don't realize that how people think. You know, like some people think totally different than you thought they would think. Like. Like I've lost some friends here and there just because people's views on things. And like, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard. It's sometimes you can't put words to it as I can't put words to it right now, but it's just, <laughs> it's frustrating. And it's, it, and it's, it's also motivating at the same time to find a cause even more and get better even more, which I don't know if like, it's like destiny or faith. Like I'm not like, I don't know. I go back and forth about being like a holy person. So I, I, I don't know, but it's like, are these, were these people put in my life to, eventually this happened and me need to get better through what they're saying or what they're doing. It's just, I don't know. A lot goes on a lot of thinking. And it's, as you can tell, there's a lot of brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of thinking, a lot of brain fog, no right answers. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, no, we're on the cusp. Like, like my doctor said, like what we have wrong with us is like, it's like the cusp of modern medicine. Yeah. Yeah. In like 10 or 20 years, it might be like a pill you can take and it just turns it off, you know, but we're There's not a company there yet. working on it now. Really? 
Yeah, um, I'll tell you about it. It's uh, they're called Winsantor. They're out of California, I believe. Um, so there's a drug already out. It's called Perenzapine. It's actually what Montelukas does. It's like a M one recept. What is it? Montelukas? What does it do? M one or M? It like you know Lu- what I'm talking. Leukotriene receptors or something. Yeah, th- there's some M something, but we're not doctors. <laughs> yeah. So, so this drug is called. It's called Perenzapine. It's um. It's actually like a drug that's already approved, but not in the United States for stomach ulcers. Mm. They're in phase. They're in phase three, and it's it's shown to regrow small fiber nerves, but it's been for wow. proven with diabetic and chemo induced neuropathies. But it's been it's a cream you put on, and it's been proven to already do it. And they're in phase three, so what? There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of people that on Reddit they buy it from Japan and they make the cream and they take it. <laughs> that's another thing I've been looking into. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I like, gotta try that. Yeah, totally. That's so exciting. Um, well, I have one more question for you. So something you talked about that I think is really hard that you have achieved is fighting for yourself. It can be really hard to figure out how to how to talk to doctors and to like get doctors to do what you want them to do, you know, to get over that hump of a doctor talking to you about it's just anxiety, get them to run the tests. You know, for me, getting my punch biopsy took like a year from my doctor recommending it to actually getting it scheduled because no one knew how to do it. And you just have to be persistent, you know? So for anyone else out there listening to this who might have small fiber neuropathy or mysterious dysautonomia or some chronic issue where they're not getting the help they need, what advice do you have to people who are struggling to push forward and struggling to kind of, like, you're like a dog with a bone, you know, you won't let it go and you keep fighting. And that's what has got you to this national specialist where you're now trying out experimental treatment with this IVIG. I mean, that's, you know, I know you're still in the thick of it and you haven't seen the progress you want yet, but that alone is really impressive to me and huge progress for anyone else out there who's struggling to get that step to happen. What would you recommend? You know, it's, it's tough. Like I'm in Boston. Like I, I, thankfully, you know, I'm in Boston, Boston, great doctors. Um, but Take Dr. Oakland's advice, like she said, you know, if your doctor calls it idiopathic, get rid of them. You got to find a doctor or like, even if it's like a naturopath doctor, you got to find somebody in your corner that's willing to do what they're not supposed to do in a weird way. My gastroenterologist, he has ordered all these tests that have nothing to do with gastroenterology. He didn't order the biopsy, but before all of this, you know, all weird antibody things, you got to find somebody in your corner that is going to help you. And there are doctors out there that want to help you that are understanding. Not every doctor, and I'm sure, I mean, you've been lucky. It seems like you found the right people right away. Uh, No, I found the right people after 10 years. Yeah. See, so there's somebody out there that is going to help you and you got to find that person. And it's, it's, it's hard to even say like how you find that person. You know, I lucked out, I came across a gastroenterologist, but I guess the main advice would be. You know, fi- find somebody, find somebody who is going to say, look, something's wrong with this person and I'm going to help them get to the bottom of it. You know, I had, I had a PCP. I said, let's check my B vitamins. And he literally said, we got to stop going down this rabbit hole. You just need to learn to live with your symptoms. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, really, really? You got to find somebody in your corner and just don't give up. Don't give up. There's always, like I said, there's always a cause for something like it might not you might not find out for 10 years from now, but there's always something causing something like you get a cold, something caused it. You know what I mean? Like there's always something causing something. I feel bad for like older people that might have small fiber neuropathy or something right here. Take gabapentin. That's it. And they just live their life on gabapentin or Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know the advice to give people except just don't stop. That is spectacular advice. You know, Find someone who's in your corner. That's it. You know, that's that's what I tell people all the time. It, finding a primary care doctor who believed me was the turning point. It still was years until I got a diagnosis, but that was the jumping off point. Someone who was willing to send me to as many specialists as it took, willing to run tests. I've been told stuff like that too. I, I Those exact words, you need to just learn to live with this, you know? They don't know what I'm living with. They don't understand what it feels like to be in a body that has constant pain and like dysfunction that's something that aggravates me to no end and that doctor i never went back to you know i saw him once i never went back it was one of the worst appointments of my life he's just like you know you have this whole medical history you just got to learn to live with this thing on the very first appointment i'm like screw you i'm never coming back here again 
And I'm so glad that I did that because then I found a doctor who helped me make progress. And that is possible, you know? I'm 39 years old. I got diagnosed at 38 with a disease that we that has been showing its face since I was in second grade. I flared up horribly when I was 24 and spent years looking for an answer, flared up again horribly when I was uh, 32. And so I guess it's well over a decade. It was like closer to 15 years. I'm doing my math wrong. It's a brain fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like 15 years to, to really get answers. And I gave up over and over. And then I came, kept coming back to it because I had to because I didn't have a choice because my, my body was getting worse and worse. And now I'm doing the best that I've done since like my early 30s, which is really, really exciting. And it's, it's possible, you know, sometimes it just takes a long, long time which isn't fair, but just never give up. You know, keep fighting for yourself. You're the only person who lives in your body. You're the expert. And don't let anyone else tell you what's happening in your body unless they are, you know, helping you. <laughs> yeah, I've always said that. I've always said, like, I mean, who is it? Michael Fox that said that? Like, you're, you're the expert of the, we're the experts on the disease. Like, we're living yeah. with it. Like, I, I joke all the time, like, doctors should have to have that disease in order to specialize in it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not logical, but it is. I mean, yeah, I saw that quote circulating from Michael J. Fox. Yeah. The people living with the disease are the true experts, something but along those true. lines. It's, it's so true. true. That's the founding principle of this podcast is like, let's record interviews with the people living with the diseases, not experts talking about the disease, the people like you and I who live with the disease. What's the practical application of having this disease? What are the tips and tricks that we've learned? about interfacing with doctors, about treating ourselves. What are the things that have worked? You never know what's going to like set off a, a light bulb in someone else's brain to send them on the right path. But oftentimes all we can do is research all these, you know, research papers online that we don't know how to read, that we don't know how to pull, you know, useful yeah, information no, like, out of. There's nowhere to like go and just say, okay, I have this. What, what tests can I do? Like I had yeah. to like talk to other people. Like I had to look at every like form on Facebook, like every clinical article on the web right now about small fiber neuropathy, I probably can recite it in the top of my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and it's like, it's crazy, but it's like, you know, I got to this point, like, you know, I've helped out a couple of people. Like I'm like, look, it might be this. It might be that, you know, one girl reached out to me on TikTok like a couple of weeks ago. She's like, you know, like I never talked to you, but I was like following your journey. And like, I had small fiber neuropathy from an antibiotic. And she's like, you know, your, your stories, your, your, you posting every day got me through it. Like she's better now, but she's wow. like, your stories got me through. And I was like, wow. And then I'm like, I tell people all the time, like, they're like, why do you post like these videos? Like you're, you're upset. You're sad. I'm like, dude, for one, I got all my information online from, from people. And for two, if I can help like somebody, you know what I mean? Cause this shit sucks. Yeah, totally. I mean, the first person I ever heard talk about, mast cell activation syndrome was someone I interviewed on this podcast. It was Morgan way back in season one. So before you even knew what yours was. Oh, years before. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time I heard of it. And it, it filed it away in the back of my head. Like that sounds like what happens to me when I'm around mold mast cell activation, whatever that means. And it took a long time. I had to see like all these different doctors. And then we finally pinned it down that that's what was actually happening. And I have this podcast to thank for it. And you never know who's listening to, to what episode and who might be having a similar moment happen to them. So, okay. For the audience out there, if you have ideas for Mark, email me majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Is that something you're comfortable with? People sort of crowdsourcing some information just in case there's anything out there. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, awesome. I'm all, all ears, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So email me and I'll pass that along to Mark and Mark, tell us where people can connect with you online. If people want to check out your content or, you know, anything else at all that you'd like to plug. Um, I'm on TikTok. I don't know the, I'll, I'll give you the tag to put it on, I guess. I don't know okay. the tag off the top of my head. And, um, I guess I'll give you, you know, Dr. Oaklander's website on Rob the commons where Perfect. she has a bunch of articles and she actually has like a list that you can give to a PCP that doesn't know what's going on, which most don't. And there's a bunch of tests you can do. Um, you know, wow. there, there's stuff that you wouldn't even think of. Like there's a lot of genetic causes too. There, there's just some, some tests that a normal doctor wouldn't think. So yeah. Those are probably the two awesome. things. Though. Yeah, that's a great tip. I'll put the link to that website in the show notes of this episode. And then if you follow Major Pain on TikTok at Major Pain Podcast, I will tag Mark there when this episode comes out. And I'll post a clip of you up there as well. Mark, you did an amazing job today. This has been so much fun. 
it's such a joy for me to get to talk to someone else with my diagnosis, even though our causes may or may not be different. Who knows? Maybe you have MCAS. Maybe you'll find that out. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> so much of what we've gone through is so similar. I felt so isolated for so long with what I was going through. So to get to talk to you today is a real pleasure for me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.